0: Well, all right. Can you guys believe that it's December? I'm having a hard time believing that it is actually officially December. Welcome to the first day of the last month of the year, but beyond that, it's also the last month of a decade. I don't know if anybody came to that realization yet, that that there is one month left of This decade. And I don't know about you guys, but at the beginning of this decade, my life looked a lot different. Um, I was in the early years of working on my undergrad degree. I lived in a different state. Uh, I was just beginning my 20s, which I can no longer claim to even be in my 20s anymore. Uh, Unfortunately, it is a rough, oh man, this decade has just done a number on me. And so uh, time has flown by. It doesn't feel like a decade is coming to an end, but it really is um, but also just even on a not such a large scale on a zoomed in version, a, another year is done. Like, I, I don't know if you guys have this experience that every year seems to move faster than the year before. And so 2019 is, is pretty much over. We're, we're only about 30 days uh, away from a brand new year. How are your guys's uh, New Year's resolutions doing from this past January? Anybody doing good on them? Forgot even what we set the, the goal to be at the beginning of the year? Uh, Something I personally do every year is I make a goal of how many books I want to read in the year, um, I use a, a handy little app. Maybe some of you use. It's called Goodreads, and they have a little prompt on there that say, "Hey, how many books do you want to read this year?" And so I set a little goal each year. And so last year in 2018, I set my yearly goal for books to read at 12. I thought, you know what, one book a month—that's no big deal. I—I I think I can handle that. Um, and and I went through the year, did okay, got to the end of the year. December flew past me, and I came up one book short. I read 11 books. Did not make it to 12, and that failure drove me insane. Some of you, it's like, that's fine, 11 out of 12, that's pretty good. That one, being one book short made me so angry, and so I got to 11 in December, couldn't finish up before the end of the year, didn't make it to 12, and so that failure was fresh in my mind, and so January rolls around, Goodreads pops up on my phone. Asks me, hey, how many books do you want to read in 2019, huh? You got 11 out of 12 in 2018. How about 2019? Uh, And so I was furious at myself for not reaching the goal. So I got a little overambitious with this year and I set my goal for 24. You know, I was like, didn't make my first goal. Why not double it, right? That makes a lot of sense. Um, And so I set that goal. um, And for those of you who aren't very good at math, 24 books. In one year works out to two book a month pace. That's the pace I had to keep. Read two books each month, and I'll reach 24 by the end of the year. Um, and as is often the case with New Year's resolutions and things of that nature, I started off really strong. That pace, I'm on it. This is gonna be a piece of cake. I get a few months in, I'm getting cocky, I'm feeling good, this is gonna be no problem. I'm gonna reach 24 books easy stop me if you've heard this story before. As with a lot of our resolutions, about halfway through the year, life started to get a little bit busy. There's work responsibilities, and there's a toddler running around the house making a mess that I got to chase after and fix the things that she breaks. There's dinner to cook. There's clothes to clean. There's cars need new tires. There's all kinds of things that pop up in life, and so I started to slack off a little bit on my reading goal. I and you know, it's no big deal. I'll, I'll get back on it. I'll catch up. I'll, and, you know, a month pass, two months pass. And before I know it, I'm, I'm starting to really fall behind on my reading goal. And so I, I finally, you know, get a handle on life. Things kind of settle down. I think to myself, I have to come back and get back on my reading goal. I really want to finish this. That number 11 is is taunting me. It's going to happen again. I'm going to get to like 23 this year and not make it or something like that. And so I'm like, I got to get back on my reading goal. And so I come back to my reading goal, but I come back with the assumption that I can continue that same pace, that I can read two books a month and it's going to be okay. But I set that pace when I had 12 months, and at the point that I realized this, I no longer had 12 months. So I had to redo some math, refigure out what my pace was going to be, and it worked out that the pace I had to set in order to catch up on my reading goal is one book a week. And some of you maybe that's not a big deal, but for me, that's not that's not a realistic thing. That is a difficult thing. Um, but that's the pace that I had to keep in order to catch up on my reading goal. Um, and here we are. We have what, three, four weeks left in the year. I just finished book 20, so I'm on pace. I still have to read a book a week in order to finish out, um, but I've got a few books in, going at once, um, and so I'm going to make it. I'm, I, I, I'm determined to make it. Maybe telling a crowd of people that I'm going to make it will also motivate me to make my year and goal for how many books I want to read, but um, that the the setting a reading goal is just one example. I think Of a a problem of hurry that we all have. How many of you feel like in your life, your pace of life is closer to the two book a week or two book a month? pace where you feel like, you know, I have a pretty good handle on this. This isn't too bad. I can keep, I can keep this going. I think if we're honest, most of us feel like our pace is the book a week pace where we, no matter what we do, we can't seem to keep up with our pace of life, that there's always things coming, um, that we always feel like we're behind, that we, we struggle to keep up, and that we're just in a hurried pace. And books are just one example. Maybe for us, it's other things. Anybody completely caught up on all the television shows that you watch? I, don't, I never am, congrats on you guys. Between Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus and HBO Now and even just good old fashioned network television, there is just an endless stream of content that I can't keep up with. There's like six shows in my queue that I want to watch that I probably will never get around to even starting. Um, it's just impossible to keep up with. What about emails? Anybody completely zeroed out your emails on your phone? Yes, those are the people that are like me who uh, have to clear it out or it'll drive you crazy. But the more phone, I have this weird habit that if you have your phone out around me, I'm gonna look at your screen, but I don't really care what you're texting about. I don't care what you're doing on Instagram. What I look at is the email app and I wanna see how many Red, what the number is in the red on your email. Uh, The highest I've seen so far is over a thousand. It was crazy. We went home to be with my family for Thanksgiving and I saw my mom's and she's at like four or 500, which is just unheard of for me. I clear them all the way out. But that's the, I seem to be the exception, not the rule. Most often it is near impossible to clear out all of the emails. Anybody caught up on current events, Keep real into the news, reading everything? Um, The thing with that is, if you are completely caught up with the news, even before you came in here, there's been something that happened somewhere where there's just a constant news keeps coming and it's usually not good news, right? Usually the news, it's it's bad. Um, And so every day we're bombarded with more news. What about sleep, anybody caught up on sleep? Well rested out here, anybody, no, no? That's a, that's a universal no, I think, regardless of what season of life you're in. Um, college students aren't getting enough sleep because you have to do your homework and write papers and study, and that's usually after you're getting off work, um, and that's not even to mention trying to cram a social life in there somewhere. Parents of young children, you know, babies are weird that they think they need to be awake in the middle of the night and sleep during the day. And they have the courtesy of if, if uh, they're awake, they think everyone else needs to be awake with them. Um, and then as the kids get older, it doesn't get much better because they get sick and they're awake. And as the kids get older, the schedules get busier. Um, and so that's just a universal thing. We're always behind on sleep, feel like we can't get enough Sleep. Think of even just like the general small talk question. This past week was Thanksgiving. We probably all spent a lot of time with extended family. What's the number one question we get or ask when we're in small talk? How are you? And what's the universal stock answer that we give to that? I'm good, just busy. We all say that, right? It's the polite way to keep the conversation going. And it's not necessarily untrue. We are good. We're just Busy. There's things that we have to do and we have this feeling that we can't reach it. And this becomes, I think, even more true in this time of year, right? They call it the most wonderful time of the year, but really it's the most busy time of year. Starting today, every day that passes is one less shopping day until, the, until Christmas gets here. Every day that passes, we're closer to another deadline, another party, another event, another Christmas play. There are things on the schedule that we've, we've scheduled out, and as we're in that one, we're ready for the next one, and we're scheduling the one after that, and it just never stops. And this isn't just a church person problem, this isn't just a modern problem, this problem has been around for a long time. In fact, the early 20th century psychologist Carl Jung said this, it's going to be on the screen, it says, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Anybody feel that way? Hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. I think we all feel that way, that we feel hurried, we feel that we don't have enough time to do all the things that we need to do, and that's before even thinking about the things that we want to do. If only we had a few more hours in the day, if only we had a little bit more time, then we could finally finish our to-do list, we could catch up. And so we feel this in this world, but I think we feel it. It's not a new problem, it's something that we felt for a long time, but I think we feel it even more specifically, maybe even more powerfully in our digital world. We get constant notifications. We're constantly on. There's emails coming in, the sounds, the text, the, the likes, retweets, shares, all of these things, usually across multiple devices coming our way where we are constantly on. And if you're anything like me, kind of the feeling that I get, the, the best metaphor I feel for this is the sensation of drowning, where you're just completely surrounded, and no matter how much energy you're burning, no matter how much you're moving, ultimately all we're doing is treading water. We're not really catching up. We're, we're struggling to keep our head above water. We are just completely surrounded with busyness, with hurry, with activity, with, with scheduled things. And they're not necessarily bad things. There's just so much of it, and we feel hurried. And so we feel it around us as an external problem. But ultimately, I think we sometimes tend to internalize it, that we internalize our hurry. And what that sometimes can lead to is some unhealthy habits and some unhealthy responses in the way that we live our life. When we're hurried, when we feel behind, when we're feeling rushed, any kind of interruption is one more thing that that's going to throw us farther behind. I heard a paraphrase of a C.S. Lewis quote the other day that, that was painful for me to hear, um, but it says that, that who, you, who you are when you uh, respond to an interruption, that's who you really are. How you respond to an interruption is who you really are. Oof, if you're anything like me, uh, that, that tells me I'm not near as good of a person as I think I am um, because my responses are generally, to interruptions, are not very good. What do we do when, when we feel hurried and we're interrupted? We snap at those we love. We say harsh things that we don't need. We act out in anger. We're like, oh, I'll do it in a minute, leave me alone. We, we don't respond in healthy ways, and I think it's because we have internalized our hurry and so it can lead to anxiety it can lead to stress it leads to unhealthy responses to those we care about harming our relationships ultimately it can also lead to sickness our our body will slow us down and force us to slow down that's that's sometimes what our sickness can be is that our body is forcing us to slow down and so the question for us is, does it have to be this way? Do we have to be hurried? Do we have to live like this? Or there has, to, there has to be a better way. There has to be a slower way we can live, a better way we can live, a healthier way that we can live. And it turns out that there is. So if you have your Bibles uh, with you, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, is what we're going to look at this morning. It's Jesus talking, and he says this. Uh, if you have a church background, you've certainly heard it. Even if you don't have a church uh, background, you may be familiar with it. You may be seen it on a bumper sticker. If not that, at least uh, crocheted on someone's grandma's pillow somewhere. Um, it's a pretty popular verse. It's been used in a lot of ways. Um, But to start off our thoughts about what Jesus is saying here, I want to, I want to focus in on one word, um, that maybe it's the word that stuck out to you as we read through that, maybe you, uh, something else stuck out to you, uh, but I want to focus in on the word yoke, uh, anybody use that word on a regular basis, yoke? No, no one does, um. It's not really a word that we use anymore, and the image that it produces in our mind is likely different than the image that would have been produced in the minds of the people that Jesus was talking to. And so a yoke, um, some of us may know, but a yoke is a tool that is put on the shoulders of two animals that would then walk side by side, and they would pull a cart to plow a field or do some farming, agricultural work. That is what a yoke was. It was the tool that was put on the animal's back um, to, to pull... That burden. And so that's its literal meaning, but it also had another usage. See, Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a teacher. Rabbi is just a word for teacher. And Jesus was a rabbi. And each rabbi was said to have a yoke. And their yoke was their interpretation of the scriptures. It was their lifestyle. It was their worldview. It was how they interpreted the scriptures. It was how they taught the scriptures. And it was how they approached the world. And ultimately, it was the tool that they used to lift the burden. Of life. Because life can be pretty burdensome, right? We just talked about how, how hurried we feel, but life can be a burden. There are things that happen in our lives that are a burden. We, we struggle with challenges and, and heartbreak and betrayals and hurt and trauma and conflict. All of these things on a daily basis, we deal with a burdensome life. Life can be Burdensome, and what Jesus is saying is that His yoke, His tool for carrying the burdens of life, is light. That that He is inviting us into uh, embrace His lifestyle, to embrace His outlook on life, and that when we do that, it lightens our load. That we can take our burdens, we can take our our hurry and our busyness and our heaviness, and we can replace those with His yoke. And what He says happens in that is that we can find rest. For our souls. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't rest for our souls sound like something that's better than our hurry and our normal pace of of rush and feeling behind? Um, Jesus was inviting us to embrace his lifestyle because embracing the lifestyle of Jesus leads to a life of unhurry with Jesus. Embracing the lifestyle of Jesus leads to a life of unhurry with Jesus. Jesus. And so what we're going to do for the rest of our time today is look at exactly how we can do that. How do we embrace the lifestyle of Jesus? Because ultimately what Jesus was doing when he lived on earth was demonstrating for us a radical new way of being human. Everything he did was different from the way that we do things. Everything he did was countercultural to the way that we do things naturally. And so his lifestyle, embracing his lifestyle, leads to a life of unhurry, leads to a life of peace. And so today, uh, it may not feel super spiritual, but a lot of what we're gonna talk about uh, has spiritual benefits. And uh, to keep it simple for you guys, they're all gonna start with S. So the first thing that we can do in order to unhurry in our walk with Jesus is to slow down, slow down and simplify. I know, that's, that's kind of mind-blowing, right? Unhur- to unhurry, we need to slow down. Aren't you glad you came to church for groundbreaking insights like that? Um, it's, it's painfully obvious, but it makes a world of sense. If we want to unhurry our soul, then a good first step is to slow down. It's kind of like the old joke of, uh, never ask God for patience. Anybody heard why you don't ask God for patience? It's because he's not going to just give you patience, right? He's going to put you in situations that are going to try your patience and help you grow patience. That's why you never ask God for patience. This is a similar situation. To slow down, we are going to put ourselves intentionally in situations that make us slow down. In order to unhurry our souls, we should intentionally put ourselves in those situations because the truth is, is that love is slow. Have you ever thought about that, that love is slow? Um, Jesus, as with everything worth emulating, is our model for this. And Think about, throughout the Gospels, think about all of Jesus' teachings and miracles and everything that he did while he was on earth. You don't really see Jesus rush, do we? It doesn't really record Jesus running from place to place. He went certain places, and he went from one place to another. But in every moment that he was in, he was fully in that moment. Jesus was never in a hurry. He was never rushing from one thing to the other. And what's mind-boggling to me is that he actually had a deadline. Most of us don't know how much time we have on earth. Jesus knew that he would be here after he started his ministry. He knew he had three years left. So he had a very set deadline. And yet we don't see him rushing. We don't see him trying to, to get to every single person. What we see instead is someone taking their time, being present in the moment. And ultimately we see someone intentionally, it looks like, going out of their way in order to be interrupted. It looks like Jesus is trying to be interrupted, that he, he often takes the longer way to get to a certain place. Um, he is in no rush. People tell him, my daughter's dying, your friend is dead. And then it says Jesus got there three days later, that he took his time, that he didn't even leave that moment immediately. Jesus was fully present in each moment because he didn't worship efficiency the way that we do. We feel that we need to get all of these things done. Let's do this right now. Let's do this right now. Let's do this right now. And then we'll do this and we'll do these at the same time. And we will be more efficient if we do it this way. But Jesus was fully present in every moment that he was at. And so he intentionally lived at the speed of love. What we see, we see it early on in his life as well, that, that his parents left him behind because he was taking his time teaching in the temple. We see his disciples constantly saying, Jesus, come do this. Get this crowd out of the way. They're, they're a distraction. These kids out of the way, they're a distraction. But what we see ultimately is Jesus having compassion on the crowds and inviting those distractions, of welcoming those distractions, because he didn't see them as distractions. He saw them as opportunities to love people. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is what ultimately is the cost of our hurry? What are we missing out on in our lives because we're too busy, because our schedule is too full, because we're moving at much too fast of a pace? What opportunities to be like Jesus in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and in our own families are we missing out on simply because we refuse to slow down, simply because we refuse to move at the speed of love? And so to truly live a life that shows love to others the way that Jesus did requires us to slow down, requires us to unhurry. And so we must slow down. And so here are some examples of ways that we can intentionally slow ourselves down. Anybody else a uh, speeder on the road like me? My uh, wallet and uh, ticket record uh, shows the fact that I do not like to slow down when it comes to driving. Um, I let Cynthia drive a certain stretch of the road on the way home yesterday because the last time we were on the way home on that same stretch of road, I got a ticket. Um, And so uh, uh, a hard thing for me to do, but a very good thing for us to do is to literally slow down. Maybe instead of, of weaving through the traffic, we intentionally get into the slow lane, maybe get into the right lane where we know people are gonna be turning and just literally slow down. I know it's crazy. It feels weird to do the speed limit. It doesn't feel right when I do the speed limit. It feels like there's no way this is what the law is saying I have to speed. Like this is way too slow. Um, But so I've had to be intentional in this area of my life and to literally slow myself down. Another thing that we can do is the same concept, but at the grocery store. Uh, This is another one that's hard for me because when I'm at the grocery store, I'm there to get my things and get out as fast as possible without talking to anyone, right? Um, I feel like that's how a lot of us are. But what if instead of doing that, we chose the longest line? Even if you only have three or four items and we we skip the express lane, we skip the 20 items or less lane, and we get in the longest line that we can find. The one with the the five people in front of us, they've all got a cart full of stuff, the slow rotator belt, all of it. And we use that time to unhurry our souls, to slow down our spirit... To be present in that moment, maybe connect with a real human being that's in front of or behind us in line, to to get in uh, the presence of of God and realize that he is in that moment, that there's a real human sometimes behind the register. Um, That's getting harder to find, but sometimes there is a real human soul behind that register and maybe we can connect with them. We can intentionally slow ourselves down um, by literally slowing ourselves down. This, one, this next one's really radical. What if we just completely eliminated multitasking from our lives? I know, it's crazy. It was, it's a crazy thought for me, but I sometimes wonder if multitasking is actually healthy. Uh, in order to maintain my uh, one-book-a-week pace, uh, I've used audiobooks. Um, which I feel like is cheating and shouldn't count as a book, but I've been told it counts and that it's not cheating, so I feel a little bit better there. Um, but what I would do is while I'm doing laundry or dishes or whatever else, the, working on the lawn, whatever else I'm doing, while I'm doing another chore, I'll listen to an audiobook. And it's been a good way to keep up on my pace, but I, we already determined that's an unhealthy pace. Um, and so... The thing is, I, what happens with me, what I found in, in my life is that when I'm listening to something else while doing that task, one or both are being diminished. I'll miss a section of the book, and I'm like, wait, why is this guy in this country when he was over here? I miss something in the book, um, or I get too invested in the book, and I, mess, <laughs> I forget to wash a dish, or, or I skip a step in whatever process I'm doing, and maybe you're better at multitasking, than I am. But the truth is, is that regardless of how good we are at multitasking, all of us are limited human beings. We are, we all have limits and, and one of the tasks is being diminished in one way, one way or another. And so what if we just completely eliminated multitasking? What if we decided instead to be fully present in the moment, even if it's a moment that we feel doesn't require our full presence? What if we did that as a discipline to just as monotonous or monial as a task as this may be, just washing dishes, I could be doing other things, listening to other things, intaking other things. What if we just were focused on being in that moment, focused on what, do you, what, what could change in our mindset, what could change in our soul, what could change in our pace of life if we were just fully present in each moment, regardless of if we think it doesn't need our full presence. I think it's a healthy practice. What if, here's another suggestion, and this one may get me in trouble, but it's the one I need the most, so you have to hear it. What if we put serious limits on our phones? I don't know about you guys, but uh, our phones oftentimes end up setting the pace of our life rather than us setting our phone's pace. Um, It it tends to dictate what we do. Um, And so the possibilities for putting limits on our phone to slow down and simplify with our phone are endless. Um, Maybe you just turn email on your phone completely off. Delete the app completely. Did you know you could delete the email app? It's, It's an option. You can do it and only check it during work hours on the desktop. It's crazy. I didn't actually do that. I had to do something. And so what I did is I turned notifications off so I don't get the noise. I don't get it in my notification center because that was just stressing me out too much. And so I check it at a set time twice a day and get it down to zero. And then I'll check it again later. And then I'm done for the day. Don't check it in between those two times. There are things we can do to set those limits. If email's not the problem for you, maybe it's social media. Maybe you need to set limits on how much time you spend on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever your drug of choice is when it comes to social media. Um, something that, that I haven't started yet but I may need to is give your phone a curfew. Um, I'm I'm thinking of the idea. I don't know if I can commit to it, but when I put my daughter to bed, my phone goes to bed. Turn it off, put it in the other room, I'm done. Even though I'm not going to bed, my phone is going to bed. Um, Something I have done that has been incredibly healthy and has made me feel better about my entire life is waking up before my phone and not going to my phone until I've been awake for a while. Um, I don't know what your your early morning routine looks like, but mine generally is, I'll look at the monitor and see what my daughter's doing, and then I'm immediately on my phone checking emails, checking text messages on Twitter, doing all of those things, Um, and so I have instead put the limit on my phone that I wake up first, and I go about my day, and I will come to my phone later, and so instead of inviting that into my day first thing, I have intentionally slowed down and simplified my life, um, and putting it... There. And so there, these are things that we can do. And I know they all sound painful. They sound painful to me, but I might just suggest that the more painful that sounds, the more likely it is that, that you need to take those steps. Um, and I, I realize that, that, that uh, this isn't a possibility for everyone, that there are jobs and situations where, where phones are a requirement or a necessity, but more times than not, there are things that we can do. There are small steps that we can take in order to slow down our life. And simplify. And so if some of these sound crazy to you or ridiculous to you, they're not rules. I'm not saying do all of these things and be awesome like I am. Um, I'm throwing out ideas to get us thinking about ways that we can slow down and simplify. Ways that we can unhurry ourselves and move down to the speed of love that Jesus lived his life at. A second way that we can embrace the lifestyle of Jesus and take his easy yoke upon us and find rest for our souls is to Sabbath. And this one is probably the big one, biggest one this morning, uh, because it's a commandment. Um, And so, something that we can do is Sabbath. What is Sabbath? It uh, it comes from a Hebrew word, Shabbat, which literally just means to stop, just to stop. Um, But I love the way that John Mark Comer defines it. He says that Sabbath is a 24-hour time period of restful worship by which we cultivate a restful spirit in all of our life. 24 hour time period of restful worship by which we cultivate a restful spirit in all of our life. And so the practice of Sabbath goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to God himself. We're all generally familiar with, with uh, the creation story, right? Even if you don't have a church background, most of us have heard of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and all that good stuff. Um, God created lights, animals, the earth, plants, all of those things. It goes through what he created on each day. And then it says on day six, God created uh, land animals and humans. And then on day seven, God and all of creation rested. Now, I grew up in church. Um, My dad is a pastor. My grandpa was the pastor of that same church before that. And so I I have grown up in church. I have heard the creation story about a million times. I've read the creation story at least as many as I've heard it taught. I'm very familiar with the story. But there's something that I didn't notice about it. And all that familiarity and all that time hearing it and and reading it, um, there's something about that order the order of the things that were created that I never noticed before until I was reading one of my books to reach my goal the other day. Um, It says that humanity was created, Adam and Eve created on day six. And then what happens on day seven? Rest, Sabbath. The very first full day of human existence was a day of rest that was gifted to them by their loving creator. Think of this. God created all of it, so Adam and Eve didn't do anything. They were created on the sixth day and didn't do any work in order to earn this day of rest. It was just a gift. It was just a free thing there for them. Their very first day of humanity's existence was a day of rest. The author of that book, A.J. Suodoba, says this, that Sabbath is the first image of the gospel in the biblical story. God's nature always gives rest first, work comes later. Sabbath is not a wage for our hard work. Rather, work is a benefit of our rest. So work isn't the problem. Adam and Eve had work to do. They they ended up having work to do. But the work came after the rest. The rest came first. The work came after the grounding, reorienting, pace-setting day of rest. And so Sabbath is both a gift that God has given us. It's a, a practice that God modeled for us. God rested and Sabbath on the seventh day, but if those weren't enough for us, which it's often not, it's also a commandment. We all are familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? We generally don't break them, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Those are all commandments, but so is honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy. That is one of the Ten Commandments, so it's literally a a commandment. Um, So God is telling us to stop, to take a full day where we stop from our work, where we stop from our hurry, and we just rest in who he is and what he's given us, where we just rest in the presence of our heavenly father. We rest our bodies and our minds, where we choose to delight in our creator and the good world that he has provided for us. Sabbath is a non-negotiable, revolutionary, and deeply rewarding gift built into the fabric of human existence. And I say that literally, built into the fabric of human existence, because even now scientists have released studies that prove that Sabbath is important. So, uh, research out of the University of Arizona showed that failing to rest after six days of consistent work leads to, I'm going to read you this list and tell me if any of them sound good, leads to insomnia, sleepiness, hormonal imbalances, fatigue, irritability, organ stress, and other physical and mental problems. Not good. God designed us with a biological need for rest. If we do not rest, our body will make us rest. We were designed to need rest. So how can we do it? That's enough about what it is. Here's some practical ways of of ways that we can make it work in our life. The first one is to pick a day. There's not any set rules about when the Sabbath has to be. A pretty easy one um, is Sunday, because generally uh, most of us don't have to work on Sunday, and you're coming here anyways to hang out with us and and spend time with the family of God, and so Sunday is a logical choice, um, but that doesn't work for all of us. My Sabbath is not on a Sunday, because Sunday's a workday for me. Um, The traditional Sabbath was uh, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, so evening to evening, a full 24-hour period of just simply resting. For some of us, our schedule fluctuates week to week, and so maybe you have to have a floating Sabbath, where the only day of a week for you that works is a Tuesday one week, and then the next week it's a Saturday, and then it's back to Wednesday. For If, you, if that's you, that's fine. The important thing is to do it, um, but if it's at all possible, try to find a consistent day each week that's the same each week that you can do, uh, that you cannot do anything, that you can Sabbath. Um. What I've found incredibly helpful for my Sabbath is to have a clear ritual that marks the beginning of it and the end of it. And this could be anything. If you've chosen Sunday, your morning coffee, that can start off, this is my, I'm starting my Sabbath with this ritual. Some people, it's a certain meal that they eat that begins their Sabbath. Some people will read a certain Psalm or a certain passage of scripture at the beginning and read the same one at the end that clearly marks the beginning and end of the Sabbath. And for me, what it does, Is it helps differentiate just from a day off? A day off is like, okay, I don't have to go into work. A Sabbath is, I am resting, I am entering into this gift that God has given me. I am becoming fully present in this moment. I am celebrating and and being thankful for all that God has given me and it's reorienting me to God's reality, that it's resetting my pace, it's unhurrying my soul and it's getting me back into a place where I am ready for what God has for me in the next week. And so I have three questions that I find really helpful for us Um, When it comes to Sabbathing that, that are framework questions that help us understand its purpose and how we can go about our Sabbath and the first one is what is restful for me. We're all different, not all of us rest the same way. If you're an extrovert, being in your house by yourself alone, cooped up, is probably not your idea of something you really wanna do that's gonna bring you rest. If you're the opposite, if you're an introvert, going out and being with people, that doesn't really sound restful. If you're in front of a screen all day, looking at a computer, typing, sitting at a desk, being indoors maybe isn't going to be restful for you. And so ask yourself the question, what is restful for me? Do I want to be outside doing something? Do I want to be with friends and family? Do I want to just be inside reading a book or watching a movie? Or what is it that is restful for me? So ask yourself what brings you rest and do that. The second question is similar, but it's a little, it takes it a little bit deeper, takes it a, a step further. And the question is, what helps me delight in God? This question, more than all the others, really reminds us of the purpose of the Sabbath. What helps me delight in God? And same thing, it'll be different for all of us. Maybe for you, it's reading a good book, or it's cooking, or it's hiking, or it's um, dancing, or whatever the case is, we're all different. What is it that helps me delight in God? Think about what gifts of creation help you appreciate your Creator and then do that on your Sabbath. That is how we find rest, is is finding what is it that God has blessed me with in this life. All the gifts that we have, everything in our life that is gift, what is it that, that brings me closer to God and helps me find delight in him? And then do that on your Sabbath. And then the third framework question that we have is what hinders me? from connecting with God? So the flip side of that question, what is it that hinders me from connecting with God? For me, it's my phone. (laughs) You could probably guess that from what we've talked about so far. So on my Sabbath, I turn my phone off. No phone, 24 hours, no phone. What is it that keeps us from connecting with God? And whatever it is that it's keeping you from connecting with God, disconnect from that to, to have your Sabbath. Um, And so there are lots of of things that we could get into, more suggestions that we could do, but those are some some practical, good launching places for getting into a weekly rhythm of stopping, of taking a full day of resting in God's presence and disconnecting from what it is that disconnects us from God. So the last S, the last helpful thing, I think, for us in order to embrace Jesus's lifestyle. Maybe the best way to embrace Jesus's lifestyle and to match our pace of life to his is to simply spend time with him. Again, Jesus is our model for this. Uh, All throughout the gospels, all throughout the ups and downs of his life, through his teachings, all the times he healed people, all the relationships that he had, something we see constantly Jesus doing is detaching even from his inner circle of followers. We see Jesus constantly carving out time in his schedule to get alone and spend time with his heavenly father. Um, And if, if spending time with the creator was important for Jesus, the son of God, I think it's doubly important for us to be intentional about getting alone and having focused alone time with the creator. And so... Um, a few practical ideas for us on this one. And the first is just to prioritize it. Super simple. We have to prioritize it. Like with anything that is worth doing in life, it doesn't just happen. It's, you're not just gonna wake up and like, all right, It's going to happen. What ends up happening instead is we fill that time with other things. We grab our phone and we invite that chaos into our day. We grab um, our breakfast or our coffee or we get right to work. We do all these things and we invite all those things into our day um, because we maybe aren't prioritizing it, but prioritizing doesn't necessarily mean doing it firsthand. For me, that's definitely what it means because if I don't, I'm just going to grab my phone and be going in down that path on my day. Um, And so to prioritize it, I literally prioritize it chronologically and do it first. To give God the first part of my day, but it can happen at any part of the day. The important part is to pri- prioritize it internally that this is something that 's important to me, and this is something that i 'm going to be intentional about and do on purpose. This is going to be something that I make happen um, and so if the first thing uh, that, that helps us to do this is to prioritize it, the second tip I, for spending time with God is to realize the first tip was for was was prioritization the second was realization. So many of us, I think, believe on a brain level that God is everywhere, that that God is all around us, that God is present. Um, But what ends up happening, I think, is we have been influenced by the Lord's Prayer. Everybody know what I mean when I say the Lord's Prayer? Uh, Maybe you heard it in your football locker room or on a war movie. It's a a pretty popular uh, little thing. But the disciples asked Jesus how to pray and what he gave them has come to be called the Lord's Prayer. And the very first line says, our Father who art in heaven. Um, and that line, I think, has influenced how we view where God is and who God is. We, we picture him as our Father, but ultimately we picture him as in heaven, which is like up, I guess, for some reason. Um, and we kind of picture that he's up there um, and that we can pray to him, right? We send up our prayers and our thoughts to him, And, you know, he, he hears us, we, we believe, and sometimes he'll, like, answer what we've sent up there. Um, but for me, a, a life-changing realization was when I did a little bit deeper of a study into the Lord's Prayer. And what I learned is that that phrase, in heaven, isn't completely accurate. It isn't the best, I think, uh, way for us to understand it. And so that word in the Greek, in the original language that it was written in, The word in heaven, in other places, is translated as sky. It can be translated as air. It's translated as atmosphere. It can be translated as all those things. And so for me, a more helpful way to understand where God is in any given moment is that our Father who is in the air, our Father who is as close as the air that surrounds us, For me, that was a groundbreaking realization. And I think that when we think about it that way, it can have so much practical good in our hurried daily lives. Prioritizing focused time alone with God is incredibly important. Sabbath is incredibly important, important enough for God to command us to do it, slowing down and being intentional about the the pace that we live our life. All of those things are important. But in a moment-to-moment basis, Maybe the most important thing for us to realize is that our heavenly Father is as close as the air that surrounds us. At the worst moment that we've ever lived, at the highest high we've ever been in, in the, in the worst day of our life, in, in the most unbelievable thing that we never thought that we would ever have to face, in that moment, our Father is as close as the air that surrounds us. When we're at our busiest, when we're at our worst, when we're at our best, when we're, everything's going great, in every moment, our Father is as close as the air that surrounds us. We need only breathe. We need only to recognize, especially in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, that He is Emmanuel. One of the names that we call God is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us in each moment, and He is as close as the air. That surrounds us. We need only rest in his presence with us, regardless of what's going on around us. And so imagine with me what it would look like in your life if you put these things into practice. I know these are there are a lot of things uh, to, to, to throw at you, um, and so putting all of these into practice all at once may not be realistic, but what steps can you take to begin to slow down, to begin to unhurry, For some of us, it may be different steps that we need to take. Maybe some of these are more important for us. Um, But what what we need to ask ourselves, I think, is what does the most unhurried version of yourself look like? What does the well-rested, Sabbath-observant you look like? How does that person respond to interruptions? How does that person respond to those around you? How does... Uh, how do you, the person who has, has spent time, a person who has slowed down their pace of life, how do they relate to the world that God has blessed us with? Um, and so I truly believe that that these steps, that these things, these gifts that God has given us of being able to slow down, to live at the pace of love, to Sabbath, to rest, to spend intentional time With our Heavenly Father. I really believe that when we put these things into practice, it affects every area of our life. That we become psychologically healthy, it improves our mental health, our physical health. I believe that it will influence every area of our life. But the challenge is, do we want that health enough to do the work that it takes to unhurry? Do we want that health enough to do the work necessary to unhurry? Are we willing to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus in order to enjoy an unhurried life with Jesus? Let's pray.